Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in Futility. First up, writer for the King's Herald and podcast with himself, Tony Zip Terrace. Tony, happy last two weeks of basketball. Yes, happy last two weeks of basketball for sure. I think we have nine games remaining if I if I have my schedule correctly. But most importantly for my intro here today, um, just a, a shout out to Tyrese Halliburton's knee. Um, please, please be well. And uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce Jerry, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last but certainly not least, this is Jerry. He's our former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst. Obviously, he's the general manager of a WNBA champion. And most obvious of all, the Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer himself. He's the true pride of French Lick. Jerry, as always, absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going today? Well, oh, it's going great. Going great. <laughs> Glad to be with you guys. Uh, just really, I miss talking basketball, even bad basketball sometimes. <laughs> so we're going to start this podcast at the end here. Uh, Tony, as you mentioned, we've got eight games to go. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but this is our last podcast that we'll do from inside the 2020-2021 season. So we've somehow found our way to the very final stretch. And I, uh, I wanted to, uh, to start our discussion here with Jerry. Jerry, with uh, De'Aaron Fox, who's out with uh, health and safety protocols. Harrison Barnes is out with an abductor injury. Um, and Tyrese went down last night with some unknown uh, knee issue, hopefully nothing too serious. Um, where do we start here in the ending? What are you looking for in these last 13 days of the season? Um, in terms of the Kings, in terms of what, what can you build? What can you take away as a fan in these last 13, 13 days uh, to, to feel hopeful going forward or, or at least uh, more knowledgeable as a fan? Well, that's a great question. I, I think in, in all honesty, yeah, sometimes uh, it's more what you don't want to take away a little bit is don't get too excited about uh, a, a good play at the end when it doesn't count. Uh, that can be, uh, you know, for team and players, uh, you know, because really when you're out of it and the Kings basically are, I mean, I certainly, if they would win all, all eight games, uh, they could find themselves in the, in the uh, playoff uh, play in situation. So, and, and, you know, if you could play the thunder all eight, you probably have a good chance of doing that. Uh, but, but I, I just think it's a little dangerous of, of, of putting uh, you know, putting too much into it at all. Uh, the only thing I could say is just it's, it is an opportunity for Marvin Bagley uh, to continue really his his out, outstanding play of last night. It was uh, terrific. Best, best, in my opinion, the best game he's played since he's been here and all around. And uh, so you'd like to see more of that for a lot of reasons, not to, you know, just there's a lot of reasons why you'd like to see him play well that that can benefit the franchise. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, you know, a, a look at uh, at roster guys, because some of the roster guys you'll want to keep. And I, I know if you're uh, Monty McNair, that that's a, is still a real key because, you know, between Dallin Wright and and uh, Terrence Davis, uh, you may not keep both. It may be a, a one or the other type thing uh certainly met to and and uh, jones i mean it's not to say you know but but they they both have looked like real look like nba players and so there's a lot to watch there uh to see their value to you as well as the nba so and and let's face it uh, uh luca walton as a head coach is uh continuing to be evaluated i would assume Jerry, that was something that I was going to ask you, and you, I'm glad you brought it up. As a, as a former coach in these last, you know, kind of uh, with the Sacramento Kings not being in the playoff hunt, with, uh, with the team kind of just in a holding pattern, hoping for no more injuries and waiting for the season to end without somebody getting seriously hurt. As a coach, were there things that you uh, focused on in the last 10 games of a season other than like, hey, guys, go out there and don't blow out your knee? Did you try new things? Were there things that you uh, knew wrinkles in the game that you wanted to put in just to see how they'd work for the next season going forward? That's great. Uh, great question. I mean, uh, 
sometimes if you had a reasonably uh, a roster that you thought could could uh, could do a few things, yeah, you, that's when you would try some stuff. You know, uh, you know, maybe try to play a, a little bit more of a zone, or you tried to play guys at different positions to see maybe how that would work a little sure. bit. It's, it's it's a little bit like through you know with the Tyrese thing with with the with Fox out I mean you know just by uh, fact you have to play in their point guard you found out what I think most of us kind of thought back in January that he's the best playmaker on this team <laughs> and, and uh so so sometimes you can find out some pretty good things there you know just trying to play guys at some different spots you know I'd like to see you know, I'd like to see Bagley play some center, a lot more center, uh, okay. uh, going down this down the stretch, just just for instance. And I wouldn't. Uh, so you know, it's 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 just some of those kind of things. And I I still think. I mean, I don't know if if, if Woodward's ever going to play, uh, but uh, if he is ever going to play, that this would be the time. Absolutely, yeah. Tony. Is there anything that you uh, that you haven't seen so far that you'd like to see more of? I definitely want to see Woodard. It's unfortunate that he's been uh, either injured or like the 15th man on the roster this entire season. But even, and I know we've talked about uh, like Jemias Ramsey and how he, he may or may not have an NBA future, certainly less likely than Woodard just because Woodard already has the, the body for it um, and, and some versatility that you could work as like a defender even if his offense isn't totally there. But I'd like to see Jemias at this point. Same with Kyle Guy, who I've always sort of felt was an NBA player, but he hasn't totally gotten his his shot consistently yet. Um, and it's just super unfortunate that Tyrese Halliburton's injury happened when it did, because that was a big motivation for me to watch the games is seeing him as the number one. And that's something Jerry's been saying all year is that he should kind of be the primary ball handler with Fox focusing on scoring. And we were getting to see that granted without Fox, but it's still experience for Halliburton running a professional team with, you know, professional players against good teams towards the end of the season, but with, without him in there, uh, to me, it's like full-on youth movement as much as you possibly can, which is minutes for Woodard, minutes for Ramsey, minutes for Guy. Don't know if we'll see it, but that's what I'd like to see. Sure. And and Jemias Ramsey, by the way, did get minutes last night. I don't know if you saw that at all, but uh, he didn't do much with them, but he was out there and he was uh, breathing on NBA floor, and that's a that's a start. That's the first thing you can do to, uh, to make your ways to, to get in the game a little bit. Um, so let's let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton for a second here. Um, since we last spoke, the Kings have gone uh, four and three. They have a plus five hundred record since the last time um, us three got together. Uh, they beat the Timberwolves. They beat the Mavs twice and have swept the Mavs in their season series, and also beat the Lakers with LeBron James coming back for the first time in twenty something odd games. Uh, three of those wins came um, without De'Aaron Fox and with Tyrese Halliburton leading the charge. Um, Jerry or Tony, I'll, I'll let you guys uh, rock, paper, scissors who, over who wants to go first. What have you seen differently from Tyrese Halliburton of late that you weren't seeing earlier in this season? Well, uh, if you want me to go first, I will. I, I think the one thing I have seen, and, you know, to a degree, I mean, I think he really has sort of relished the role of uh, running the team and kind of being the, the alpha. I'm not saying he's totally comfortable there, but, but it's, a, it's a role he had in college, and it's certainly – not uh, foreign to him. And you can see that, that he has a comfort zone there. And I, yeah. I think he's done remarkably well. Of course, you know, as you know, uh, you know, back in January when we first started talking about this, I said, the one thing I thought would even help him more is when, uh, when Fox is there, uh, because Fox would take the quicker, smaller defender uh, and, and, and allow him to move the ball against two guards. And I think that's the only issue that occasionally crops up a little bit quickness, real quickness on the ball can bother him a little bit, but, uh, but I mean, that, that's the part that Fox would solve for him immediately. Uh, it takes, takes that off the ball and he'd have an easy time moving the ball, but he's done a good job regardless, you know, even with teams focusing on him and we've seen that. So, so to, to me, there's just nothing not to like, you know, he's, he's shown you the ability to get to the basket. Uh, his instinctive passing is, is terrific. Uh, you know, he, he's just as simply a basketball player that uh, you wish maybe had the superior quickness, but he's fast and, and he's got enough quickness and size and, 
and the ability with the floaters and even now showing you a little stop and pop jump shots, a little ugly, but it, it, uh, it's effective. And then of course, he's just a marvelous spot up shooter. So I, I'm in love with the guy. I, I think, uh, I really do think you, you can build a winner with this guy playing 35 minutes a night, you know, he never be your leading scorer, but he, but he, in a lot of ways, he might be your best player. Yeah. I think the biggest positive is almost, um, I mean, it's, it's a result of Halliburton's play, but just the, the results the Kings have had without Fox. I know when I, you know, when we got the news that Fox was out, I thought the Kings are losing their the final 12 games. It was no chance they'd beat, uh, basically anyone, let alone the Mavericks twice and the Lakers once. So there's some pretty good professional basketball teams and, it's it's defense is focusing mostly on Halliburton. He's, you know, I guess arguably, but I would say their best available player every night right now. I guess, you know, you could argue Holmes or, or Barnes when he's healthier, buddy. But Halliburton is where the offense starts. And you've seen his efficiency dip as a starter without Fox. He's not shooting the ball as well from three or from the field. But the Kings are still winning those games. So I think that's been my biggest takeaway is that a Halliburton-led team that is undermanned and they're missing some of their better players – but they're still going out and competing hard and beating teams. They really have no business beating. And that is in large part due to, I think kind of what Jerry was saying, Halliburton's leadership and his, uh, he, he does, he relishes the opportunity to, you know, put a team together and have him be the leader of it and go out and still compete and try and beat these games, uh, beat these teams that are much better than the Kings. So I think the, the biggest positive for me is just the result for as much as we can argue if the Kings should or shouldn't be winning games right now. The fact that they are, under Halliburton's leadership, again, against good teams is, is very encouraging. Uh, maybe not for the, for draft position this year, but certainly, you know, heading into next year. Jerry, is there a, as a former coach, is, is this a situation where this is a problem you'd like to have having a score like De'Aaron Fox, who's an, who's naturally a point guard and having Tyrese Halliburton as a natural passer, who's also kind of naturally a point guard. Uh, both of these guys are going to kind of uh, show a different role in the point guard position here moving forward. Uh, do you think that this is going to ever end up as uh, something that a coach would need to sort out where they have to pick one over the other? Or do you feel like because they fit naturally together that they can just both be kind of 1.5s and it would work? Is this something that you worry about down the road where the Kings might need a 10, a 10 assist a game guy over a guy who can score 26 points a game where neither of them is kind of naturally a shooting guard? Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's anything you worry about much. I think it's a great problem to have. I, I do think that you, you hit on it. I think there's a little bit more one and a half than both those guys. And, and we've seen championship teams uh, have that. I always, of course, go, you have to go way back to the, the great uh, Celtic teams with Dennis Johnson and Danny Ainge. None were a true point, but uh, they both could they both could handle make plays and play off the ball as well. And, uh, but, but I, I think this is a little different uh, in this time, but I, I do think that, you know, with Fox, uh, you still want him in the open court as much as possible. He just puts so much pressure on the defense, but I, I just think in the half court, when you're going to run sets and really the Kings need to run more sets, uh, you know, that's where, where Halliburton is better. And, and then, Conversely, Fox is better, you know, getting the ball with a live dribble uh, in, in scoring position uh, because, again, putting so much pressure on the defense. So, so in, in my mind, it, 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 it's really a great problem to have. Defensively, you know, Fox guards the ones. You call him a one, uh, just like the Kings did for years, call Bibby the one when he wasn't. Uh, uh, sure. but it, like I say, it was the identical thing there. I mean, I always go back to the greatest, maybe guard line, you know, maybe in history, uh, or one of them was Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan. Now, which one was the point guard? Well, it wasn't Jordan. I mean, he can go score and, and run stuff, but mostly it was Pippen sure. and he wasn't a true point, but he was a great friggin' player. <laughs> you know <laughs> and i mean and i'm not trying to yeah. say the kings have uh, the next jordan and pippen i don't mean that but <laughs> but they might have a, a jv version and and, and, I, and I guarantee you that'd be good enough for me uh tony uh talk to me a little bit about um where you see um fox next season fitting with with um tyrese albert and i'm only curious to see where you think um, the Kings can build around those two and what they need with the deficiencies that, that Fox and Halliburton kind of combined have as a, as a starting unit. 
I think that puzzle is going to come together as soon as they figure out what Buddy Heald's role will be, whether it's on or off the team. I mean, we've been saying it for months now, so it's kind of an old take at this point, but it's hard to uh, imagine why Halliburton wasn't already starting this season. And it's going to, and it's impossible at this point to see how he doesn't start next season. So I don't know. I mean, and I think I agree with Jerry. I think the dynamic between Fox and Halliburton is, is nearly perfect. And if you go down the line of the NBA standings today, most teams have that 1.5, 1.5 in the backcourt. Very few teams are running like a pure point guard who has the ball a super majority of the time. Most of it is these sort of timeshare uh, one score, one leaning passer, but 1.5s. So I think their, their fit together is, is almost perfect. It's going to come down to, you know, who the coach is and how he uh, manages where the ball is and when. But I think the, the key there is going to be, how do they get these two guys in the starting lineup without the Buddy Heald issue being an issue? Now, I think Buddy Heald still could be a fantastic bench scorer on this team or another team. Will he accept that role? I don't know. But I think the, the element for the Kings in the Fox and Halliburton relationship is going to be more about Buddy Heald than Fox and Halliburton, because I think those two guys will already have it. They're they're fine. I'm not worried about them at all. It's just that other piece. Jerry, throw on your GM cap for a second there. Do you see this as a as a moment to to trade Buddy Heald, convince him to try to be a six man if he can, if he can wrap his head around it, or do you feel like that's something that that won't get done? That that Buddy just he's a starter in the league. He's getting paid like a starter in the league. He should be starting somewhere. Well, I I think with Buddy, I don't see doubt he wants to start. Okay, so so we got that. Now now I want somebody to explain to me a player who really doesn't want to. Uh, that's a small group. <laughs> and at some and at some point, I mean, I think with Buddy, if he is here, you know, with the Kings, and I agree with Tony. I think he can still be a very productive off the bench scorer, and he would fit extremely well with either of those guards when one of those goes off the floor, whether it's De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, his game should actually get better if, if in fact, Buddy is here. Now, as far as the part of making him happy, I don't know if you can make him happy, but I can tell you this. At some point, you, you need to have that come to Jesus meeting with him and saying, you got your money. You're being paid a lot of money to perform at a high level. We know you can. It's going to be in a different role. And that's that. Sure. Get happy. You know, just you put your happy face on and get with it because that's how it's going to be. Or just... Uh, stay unhappy but but at some point uh your job is to be a professional basketball player which you have agreed to and you've signed a contract to that effect so so go be one and in in a in a different role that's all it's it's one of those things that i know james ham when we had him on said that he felt like a lot of buddy's struggles in the first half of the season were due to looking over his shoulder worrying that tyrese halliburton was coming for his starting spot um but the trade deadline passed and buddy stuck around and Tyrus Halliburton obviously is stuck around for, he's going to be around for a, a long, 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 long time with the Kings. And we, yet we still see Buddy Heald shooting, you know, the other night he was one of 11 and like two of nine for three. And I don't think we've seen those games disappear, even though the, the idea that, you know, he's not being traded yet, or he's not, you know, Tyrese Halliburton isn't coming for a starting spot. It was made very obvious when the Kings scooted Mo Harkless into the starting lineup and moved Tyrese Halliburton back to the bench that Buddy was the focus of the shooting guard, at least for the remainder of this season. Why do you think Buddy still has games like this? Is it just that he's, is it, is it something that he suffers from still mentally that he's still worrying about Tyrese Halberton and that never went away? Is it simply a, a season where he just is up and down due to, you know, medical issues like uh, COVID or is it something that it's just who Buddy is? He's a streaky shooter, streaky player overall. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know about the looking over your shoulder. I, I can't imagine you know, that being much of a, an excuse, you know what I mean? Uh, sure. The basket's yeah, sure. still the same height and everything. And uh, whether you're, if you're taking shots and you're scared uh, that you missed and somebody's going to get your job, then you ought not have your job. Uh, I think that, but I, I've always thought it's just simpler. It's a simpler look than that is that Buddy is not taken as good as shots as he has in the past and has settled and for almost all three-point shots, you know, I mean, he just has taken sure. a lot of more threes than maybe he should as, as opposed to occasionally the escape dribble. And, hey, if it's good enough for Steph Curry to step inside or Damon Lillard and shoot 15-footers now and then, 
uh, I would think it'd be okay with Buddy. Do the same. Uh, take easy shots, and your percentage will go up. And and I think you know he just is in a, in my mind, and I don't know how much whether it's all his fault, but uh, where he's being encouraged to look for for threes, and and you know that's a strength, no doubt. But but he's had a bad year, and I think it's shot selection more than anything else. And uh, you know we we all complain about his ball handling, and rightly so. But but I think with Buddy, it's it's all about shooting the ball. Uh, taken in his case that's why I think he'd be an ideal on a good team he'd be ideal as an off the bench guy to come in and and maybe get 15 points a game on 10 shots 10 11 shots and some some nights he'd still go for 30 you know that's that's the kind of a, a score he is I don't know if this is like the the buddy healed problem but Dave Yeager's last year in Sacramento which was buddy Heald's best year of his career uh, buddy took a bad three ended up going in and I think it was a game winner or it was a late game. It was a bit, little bit of a controversy in Sacramento where buddy took this really difficult three and it went in and Dave Yeager still <clears throat> yelled at him for the shot he took. And there, and I know I was on the side of buddy at that point saying, Hey, you know, he made the shot. It was a very important shot. He made it. Why did Yeager have to yell at him in that moment? Um, and I may have been wrong. I don't, who knows if I'm right or wrong, but I don't know if anyone on the Kings right now is telling Buddy, hey, that's a bad shot, or hey, that's a good shot. Jaeger may or may not have been too strict or not as strict enough with Buddy, I don't know. But we, there was a very public moment in his final year where he yelled at Buddy for taking a bad three. And in his two years under Walton, and I'm not only blaming Walton for this, because it's a, it's a, I'm speaking from a spot of ignorance. I don't know what the answer to this is, but I don't know if there is anyone there right now to Jerry's point, telling Buddy what is or isn't a good shot, or does he just have the freedom to shoot whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Because if you watch the games, it looks like that's the case. But again, that's some information we don't have. I, you know, being around and getting to know Dave a, a good bit, certainly better than uh, Luke since I was more involved. But uh, you know, I, I, that, I think that was a real concern for for David Jaeger, and I think he had some words periodically with not just Buddy. But, you know, I always say it's, a, it, it's kind of what coaching is supposed to be. Uh, you're supposed to kind of, kind of yeah. look at the big picture of things, what you expect from your players. And it's like, <laughs> like you or I might have thought at the time, it's like, well, well, geez, he made the shot. But, but if it's a shot he shouldn't have taken and you're trying to do something else, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you have in mind what your offense is supposed to do in that circumstance. Well, it doesn't make any difference whether it goes in or not. It, it was wrong. And he needs to be called out on that. I, I mean, I always go back to when I was a junior college player and, and I thought I was about the, the smoothest thing since sliced bread. And I, I, stro I stroked a 22 or three footer, you know, nothing but twine. I was so proud of myself. And I looked up and there was my reserve coming in. <laughs> and, 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 and the guy, coach took me out and, and just chewed on me. He said, you little... I won't say exactly what he called me, but uh, you know, which you, you, you wouldn't be allowed to do today, even though it was necessary, it was true. But he said, you know, that was the five play that ball is supposed to go into our center. Who's an all-star who's going to get us to the national tournament. And you think you're, you're the star and you took a shot you didn't need to take. And, and if you think continue to do that, you'll never get your little butt off this bench. And, 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 you know, and, and I remember very distinctly saying to myself, self, you better pass the damn ball to the big <laughs> star when you can, if you want to play. And so, uh, and I think sometimes it's just about that simple. Jerry, is there room for that in the NBA yeah. anymore? Do you think there's a spot for coaches like that? No, uh, not exactly like that. That's a shame of it. There should be, but there isn't. I mean, Popovich might can do it. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Rick Carlisle, maybe. Uh, but no, Tibbs. Uh, yeah, it's a small, it's a small group, yeah. and, and and they have to be yeah. established. But uh, but I, I, as far as can you could criticize players? Can you tell them what you want and expect uh, differently? A little more, you know. Yes, you can. Uh, I, I think I think players want to be coached, and it, and I think as long as you can give them accurate information to help. 
and they understand that you're not picking on them. You're just giving good information. I think, I think you can. I, I think one of the things that hurts a little bit, and, I, and I'm probably just the old man talk here, but I think there's so many assistant coaches now, and they all just become butt patters and, and glad handers uh, too much. Sure. You know, I mean, and it's like it almost works counterproductive. Uh, no, everything isn't always good. You don't need to be congratulated every time you screw up or tell you everybody encourage you. Sometimes you need to be told, no, that was a really terrible shot. Or what in the world were you thinking when you made that cross court pass, you know, type thing. You know, I mean, the kind of thing that average guy setting up in the second deck sees and it says, you know, you don't have to berate them or bench them for life, but they ought to, ought to know sure. that you saw it <laughs> and your, the coaching staff saw it and your teammates saw it. They, you know, to me, that's, I don't think there's enough of that. I really don't. I'm sure there's not really. Sure. Especially with the the repeat offenders, you know, like it's one thing if you take a bad shot once, but we've seen this. I mean, bringing it back to Buddy Heal, we've been seeing this for a, a while now, and it doesn't seem like anybody is is telling him to to knock it off, or or there's not a whole lot of uh, accountability accountability when it comes to shots. Yeah, like I mean, especially at today's situation when you have uh, all these breakdowns of tape, you can do so many things. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could you could take a half hour of, of Buddy. Uh, you know, making the same mistake. And, and you know, and I'd want to do that and say, but yes. that's mean you sit down here and watch this. Now, do you notice a pattern here? Uh, and if there's anything that bothers you about this, let, let's see if we, we don't see that so much. You know, I mean, that's all. I mean, you want to you wanna be positive with players and point out the good stuff, but then, uh, but you can't just eliminate, act like the bad stuff isn't happening because it is. And if you don't, that that's what you see more of, you know. So I don't know, Jerry. I, I wanted to get your perspective on this, only because it's a it's a mystery that 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 haunts Kings fans a little bit this season. And and I, I, I figure you might have a take on this between the Lakers, the the Nuggets, and the Mavericks. The Kings are eight and one against them this year. I mean, they've thoroughly owned some very very good teams in this league. And, and yet, and yet they, they are one of the most miserable, you know, teams in the NBA overall here. Is there, is there an explanation you can see behind? I mean, I specifically point out the Mavericks and maybe it's a bad matchup, but one team, sure. But three teams, I don't think the Kings match up that well against every good team in the NBA and somehow come away with a winning record against them. Why, why, why is it that the Kings can go an eight and one against teams like that and then be so piss poor against other teams? Yeah, there's, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, it, it isn't, number one is those teams, the better teams, for the most part, don't take you as serious as they should, you know, when you're, when you're considered not a good team. Sure. So there is, you know, and you see it so often in the start of games where teams, the better teams just look like they're walking their way into the game and they get in a hole. And of course the, the weaker team feels pretty good going forward. And we've seen that reversed, of course, but anyways, so I think that's, that's part of it. I just think that the Kings uh, have the advantage like any team with a bad record does against a better team, not taking them serious as they should. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it, but I think there's another issue. I honestly think the teams, the Kings talent is, is better than the record. <laughs> and uh and and so uh you know they're they're capable of uh playing really good basketball at times i mean which really makes the poor games even more depressing in my mind sure. <laughs> you know uh for that very reason the fact that uh, yes you can do this against these teams and yet you you can get beat by the pistons and, and timberwolves and orlando magic and and the dregs so that's just uh, you thinking you're better than you are <laughs> type thing. But so I think there's a, you know, it's a little double-edged sword there, but I, I do think that's part of it. I think the, the Kings uh, honestly have some really good basketball players. You know, they're probably one really good player away uh, from being, you know, legitimately heading somewhere. <laughs> but but uh, that, that lends itself to, you know, you're taking on the Lakers or the 
you know, certainly the Mavs and all and Nuggets, these really pretty darn good teams, especially, and and uh, showing you can play with them. They and, and then then the next night you may play the Pistons and you know crap all over yourself and embarrass yourselves because you think, oh well, we beat the Lakers, so who are these guys? Well, these guys are basically you with just slightly less talent, but on this particular night, more motivated. Sure. <laughs> how much is a, how much of that is, is something you can put on a coach that you prepare them for a game against a, a team like the Lakers and everybody's focused and ready to beat LeBron James. And then the next night they're going up against, you know, Isaiah Stewart on the Detroit Pistons. And it's like, oh, this isn't quite the same. How much would you put that on, on the coaching staff to get them ready or prepared the same way? I think that it really is the challenge of the coaching staff. I always said the NBA schedule always is a, is a schedule such that the schedule will win you some games and it'll lose you some games sure. that you just can't, I don't care who you are, uh, the better teams just, the, and especially this year, sure. even more so this year. So, so, okay, put all that aside. So there's going to be some stinkers in there. I don't care if you're really good or, or whatever. So, but Having said that, and I've talked about this before, like I say, there's only two things a coach can do, only two things once he's got his roster, and that is motivate, his, motivate the players sure. and utilize them correctly, sure. and that's it. Now, you know, and I, and I think uh, some guys are better at that than others. You know, I mean, I think you go through the years of whether it's Popovich or back in Jerry Sloan's day, or we see it with Quinn Snyder now, uh, you know, the Utah Jazz, just how, how gifted are they? Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I wish them well I, I, if they win the World Cup, but I, I don't think they're all that good, but they are sure. because they're, they generally speaking, come bring it every night and, and they play us and they know who they are, that sort of thing. And so I think you have to give the coach a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, that that's really all I'd say. I mean, I think that you look at, the Spurs over the and even this year the Spurs aren't very talented guys I mean they're just not and I don't know if they'll even make the play in I don't know but but I tell you consistently they're you know they they're in games and they have guys out like everybody does and you never hear a word about it they just trot them out there and go play I, I just I mean I just think that's a, a neat deal and so yeah I, I think that I don't think the Kings have uh, certainly a, and I would, would, would tell Luke, I mean, I'm not, you know, I just don't think they, they as a, as a coaching staff has done as much as they could probably to motivate the guys. And, and I think one of the ways is they haven't held them accountable. And that's, and, and from a coaching standpoint, the only thing you can do to a guy to get their attention a lot of times is minutes, you know? Okay. And, and, you know, if you don't take them away for bad play, why, why should, why should anything change much? It's not even a, uh, an issue that's exclusive to Walton. Um, the Kings for, I mean, really since Rick Adelman, and there's been a few years here and there where, where winning clearly wasn't the goal, but this team has been, um, I don't know, I feel like they've, they've had better talent than their record a few different times. And I think this year is, is another example of that, unfortunately, where uh, is this team significantly less talented than Memphis or San Antonio or, uh, you know, some of the other teams in the bottom of the play-in conversation in the West? I don't really think so. So then it's hard to, it's kind of hard, especially as an outsider, as a fan, to look at this as anything, not anything but a, a coaching problem, but it is a, a frustrating, it gives me a frustrating view of the coaching staff when I think, and maybe I'm wrong, that the team is more talented than the record is. So it's like, all right, why is this happening? And it's hard to, to put that on anything but, uh, and, and I'm not absolving the players because they have issues too, but it does seem like, a, all right, the talent level is what it is. Are they better or worse in their record? I think they might be better. So what else is happening here? And it's hard to, to put that on anything but the coaching staff. Jerry, I want to get your perspective on something uh, that's a little bit more league-wide than it is Sacramento Kings related. It was Sacramento Kings related for about two weeks after the uh, trade deadline, and then it was not. Um, we've we've recently heard some people come out um, against the play-in game suddenly. And boy, wouldn't you know, but it just so happens to be the teams that might be playing in the play-in game that suddenly don't want to be in the play-in game. Um, Mark Cuban obviously came out against it. Luka Doncic kind of had something against it. And uh, recently, as last night, um, LeBron James said that whoever came up with the playing game should be fired. 
Um, now, wouldn't you know it, but LeBron James Lakers squad has just slipped into the seventh seed and will have to play in that playing game. Um, Jerry, do you have a, an opinion one way or another over whether or not the playing game is a good idea or a bad idea or a good motivator or a bad motivator for, for teams near the end of the season? Well, sadly, I do have an idea and a thought. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't like it at all. I, I just think anything you're, anytime you're bringing 20 teams into basically the playoffs out of a 30 team league, you've cheapened it beyond repair in a sense. And now, also, I understand why they're doing it. Uh, TV ratings, uh, you know, basically with a shortened schedule, uh, more money, uh, which is needed for both owners, players, everybody. So, so it's not a, you know, it's it's not really any more complicated than that. Uh, you know, to, to say it gives makes the regular season more meaningful. Well, it, I guess it does if your goal is to be tenth. Uh, but, 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 you know, I, I, no, I don't like, it. I don't like it. I, I don't like, of course, I, I don't like even things about the playoffs that everybody else likes. I don't like a best of seven, uh, for first round games. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the history of mankind. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the world series, they play a best of seven in the world series, the final. Uh, you know, and, and that's baseball, for God's sake. So we're playing best of seven in round one. I mean, you know, it's like play best of three. And I know why they don't, because there again, it's TV money and playoffs. But but I mean, play best of three. Uh, yeah, the, the fa favorite will get knocked off a little more often. How wonderful, just like the NCAA tournament has found out. That's wonderful. Uh, anyway, they ain't going to listen to me, but they should. They should on that. I mean, they really should. Yes. Uh, three, three is plenty. And then best of five after that. Uh, and until you get to best of seven, I mean, if you can have a college champion on one game, you know, one and done that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I still think you're going to get to almost always we'll get the best team win championships. And that's the goal. Do you see any, uh, do you see any uh, merit to them saying that it's helped protect um, the league against like, for one, you're right. That, um, that the last two weeks are exciting. Apparently. I mean, for, for teams that matter for who, for the 20 teams that have a shot at this um, uh, the last two weeks matter at the end of the NBA season, where a lot of years, you know, things are pretty much wrapped up. You know, the eighth seed is five games ahead of the, the ninth seed and things are pretty much over with when it comes to these last 10 games. But they also say that it, it helped uh, stave off teams that are uh, uh, that had the tough decision on whether or not to full on tank to sit their players and not. Now, I, I mean, I, I think we've still got those five, six, seven teams that decided pretty early on in the season. This isn't going to be for us. And they've been bad consistently this season. Um, but there are those that think that, oh, some of these middling teams, like, uh, for example, the Wizards, who were struggling uh, and then suddenly came alive and are now pressing for a play-in spot there. Do you see any merit to those claims that they help protect the league against tanking a little bit? I think there's some merit to that. I do. I, I, I think there's some merit. But uh, is it enough to do to justify doing it? I, I don't. Because uh, like I said, I mean, tanking is tanking teams that, here again, there won't be the players ever do it or the coaches for the most part, uh, but it'll just be, you know, higher ups that, and then holding out players. We're seeing probably with Oklahoma city and some that guys uh, uh, just can't seem to get healthy um, uh, for some reason, but so you're not going to be able to do much uh, about that. But to me, it, it, it just, I, I don't think that's enough of a reason. And, and I, and I think the still the bigger reason is still, yeah, tanking's tanking, and, and we've talked, and I tend to agree with your philosophy to a degree. If it's a, you can pretty well be uh, understand a certain number, but uh, the bottom line is still a lottery, and it's really not the lottery it once was either. <laughs> so, so you you know, it's it just uh, hey, I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, I would not be surprised. The Kings got the first pick in the draft. I mean, it's a it's a possibility because it's a friggin' lottery. <laughs> the worst, <laughs> the, you know, the worst team um, may not get number one. So that's and probably won't. No, absolutely not. Uh, the new lottery is crazy. I've been looking at where the Kings rank in this thing. And, you know, right now they are in the ninth spot in the lottery with a 20% chance to pick top four. Like that, if you think of how the lottery used to be, those mm. odds have shifted <clears throat> in an insane way. I mean, you're telling me the Kings can continue winning games 
and still have a 20% chance at a top four pick that really does. And we're learning more. It's a new system, but we're learning more just how much that does impact, you know, how important it is to finish sixth versus ninth. The gap there is just not as big as it used to be. Yeah. You, you mentioned that the Kings are a half game out of the eighth, um, out of the eighth spot in the lotto. And that bumps them up past 25%. I mean, a one in four shot at a top four pick is, is, pretty damn good and especially in a in a five-person draft i'm 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 not a i'm not i'm i'm sweating it a little bit less this year with the lottery odds the way that they are that the kings just have to be bad they don't have to be not that they aren't but they're they don't have to be an all-time bad team in order to get the number one pick this year and and uh even even then houston who is the worst team in the league they've only got a 50% shot, a little bit over 50% uh, on getting that top four pick. So if you can still win games with Tyrese Halliburton leading your team, if if the Kings can still, when De'Aaron Fox is healthy, run De'Aaron and Tyrese Halliburton out there and get them some meaningful minutes and good games, and you lose 25%, oh, okay. Uh, for me, the, the old tanker who is, would much prefer to see the Kings at the number one spot than the number nine spot, I kind of go, all right, that's not too bad. That's a, that's a decent trade-off. Yeah, I'm with you, Will, and it's it's taking some time to untrain my brain to think that they have to lose every single game where it's the end of the world. But it's in it's just not like the reality is it's not the end of the world. Even though, again, I'm as pro tank as anybody, and I you know I, I love being in that first spot, but it's just not the the end of the world that it used to be. And it's hard to untrain your brain to think that way, but that's that's how the odds are now. Sure. Yeah, you know, and the, and the Kings have certainly benefited from the lottery in the last few years. You know, obviously had the third pick, which became the fifth, fifth, where they got Fox when they shouldn't have been that low. And then, of course, the second pick with with Bagley, you know, when they shouldn't have been that low. So the lottery, it is the lottery. (laughs) And and so that's it. I I don't know. I I mean, you know, I I just hope all I know is that the Kings could get another player in, in the lottery or trade the pick itself or pick the caliber of a, a, a Halliburton, uh, I'd be a pretty happy camper, to tell you the truth. Jerry, is there anything in these last um, um, eight, uh, the last two weeks league-wide that you're looking forward to watching? Not necessarily with the Kings, but just in general? No, I can't say offhand. I, I mean, I, I think I'd like to at some point just really just see if Brooklyn actually could put the three guys out there on the floor uh, together uh, before – before the the playoffs start, I, I mean, I, I I think they're they're going to be tough tough out. You know, I mean, I think picking up Blake Griffin has helped them, uh, which surprise surprise. You know, I mean, he had a, actually had a little bit left in the tank, but, uh, you know, which is depressing. You know, end of itself really. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, just to see that, and, and you know, the Davis Lebron thing. Uh, you know, I watched him a little bit the other night against the Raptors too. Boy, they, I tell you, they, the, the Lakers really aren't very good right now. They're just not very good. No. Now, uh, yeah. we, I'm not trying to – I'm not saying Father Time has done anything, but, but I think with LeBron isn't quite himself, and, and really Davis isn't either. And if those guys aren't close to being who they are, uh, the Lakers really are not a threat in, at all. And now I, I suspect we'll see those two guys become who they are next three or four games uh, if but if we don't uh, so that that's interesting and then of course i still say that the, one of the neatest things in in a lot of ways is just seeing the suns have the year they're having you know now they got the basically the best record and and you know you talk about being in the doldrums for 10 years they, they certainly were right there so you know it can be done uh good you know all the bad drafting and trades they made that made a few good drafts, uh, excellent coaching hire. Uh, then go get that free agent difference or that player difference, uh, Chris Paul. You know, I mean, that that guy that puts it all together. Tony, what are you looking forward to in the last two weeks? I think, uh, I mean, maybe we're getting a little bit too ahead, but I think the playoffs are going to be really fun. And I think the reason they will be is because uh, I don't know who's going to win. And I feel like, you know, like Jerry was saying, the Lakers do not look like they're uh, they could stop anybody right now. Maybe they'll get there. But for the first time since Dallas won, I have no idea who's going to win this year. I mean, Brooklyn is good, but they're also injured. But if Utah like the idea of Utah or Phoenix winning it all is almost unfathomable to my brain, because for the last decade that I've really watched basketball closely, decade plus, 
it seems like the winners have been very predictable. Even just the, the finals teams have been very predictable. And heading into this final stretch where we don't know where the seed the seeding is going to play out and then into the playoffs, I don't know who's going to win. And I love that. That's all I, that's all I ever really want is some parity uh, in the league and especially at the top of the league and having new teams. And I know, you know, the casual NBA fan, maybe they want the Lakers and the Celtics every year. I don't. I want to see Utah. I want to see Phoenix. I want to see some of these other teams in the East. Try and make a run and prove that you don't need to be in L.A. or, you know, New York or wherever to win every year. So that's that's what's exciting to me as someone who uh, is, is not just the the casual fan who cares about ratings or whatever. I would like to see, you know, teams that, that don't always win get that platform and, and try and do it. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. I would love to see a, a matchup in the finals that's like a, a Philadelphia with Embiid and, and um, the the Nuggets with yeah. Jokic. You know, I would like to see something like that yeah. where it's two wildly different teams with two big guys that are completely new. Just uh, there's a lot of matchups in the finals that it wouldn't be like, oh, okay, here comes, you know, the the Warriors and and the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of uh, – parity at the top of the league in the sense of that I could see five or six teams making a run into the into the finals this year and that 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 truly is exciting yeah I agree with both of you guys and I do think it's uh, the league is as close to parity as it's been a long time I mean there's a lot of a lot of yes. good teams but we're not sure. but great teams no I mean now the Nets you know you'd think maybe they could be that they could be that if but they but uh, you know, if you can't, can't stay healthy and they stay healthy and if they, and they clearly haven't all year. And, mm -hmm. and then plus you never know when, when uh, Kyrie will need a personal game or something too. Sure. might, might be the fifth game of the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> so, so you have that, but, but anyway, yeah, I, I think it's a, it really bodes well for a lot of exciting. Once we get through the, the jibber jabber of the play and stuff, uh, I think, and, you know, get down to the, final four in each conference. I think you're going to see some great basketball. You, you know, one of the other things I'm looking forward to, or I guess I've, I'm happy about as we're closing out this season is teams like, um, I, I was looking the other day on uh, the, the postseason droughts for NBA franchises. And uh, right now the Kings own the top spot at 14 going on 15 years, but the team below them uh, at just half of that was the New York Knicks. And seeing Knicks fans enjoying the season that they've had yes. and being able to see the Knicks in the playoffs and the Knicks playing as well as they are, while that eliminates the person underneath us rather than, you know, the Spurs, or the, I'm sorry, not the Spurs, the Suns, Suns are going to get in, the Knicks are going to get in. Uh, the next one underneath the Knicks is at four years is the Charlotte Hornets, who they'll, they're going to get in. And so, so we're looking at the Kings owning 15 seasons without a playoff record or without a playoff appearance. And then you've got one team at four years, which is the Chicago Bulls, who have Nikola Vucevic, who who have who have um, uh, Zach Levine, who they could be, given the right circumstances, a playoff team next year. And then after that, you've got the Atlanta Hawks, who they might be going in this year. And then um, you got one team with three years, and then it's the Minnesota Timberwolves with two years. And so the Kings will have owned you know five times the uh the amount of time outside of the playoffs uh, uh so I, if it can't be me i'm glad it's the knicks i'm glad it's the hornets i'm glad seeing some of these smaller teams get in after you know a terrible tough four years outside of the playoffs i know it's been very hard for those people to not be in the playoffs for the last half a decade and uh yeah. and so good for them yeah yeah you know i'm, I'm like you there well i <laughs> I've always hated the Knicks almost sure. just because they're New York, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, the sympathy, the pity factors kicked in a little yeah. bit and, and I'm, yeah. and I'm, yeah. and I'm kind of, and I'm yeah. happy for yeah. him. And I know Tibbs, <laughs> Tibbs personally. And I mean, I think he's a, just a terrific coach. And I mean, he, I think he has a shelf life, sure. but, but I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. well, who doesn't? Sure. And, and, he, and he's just made amazing progress and people forget the, you know, the Timberwolves that had the long stretch until he went there and, sure. and, and turned them into a winner until a couple of guys got their feet, little feelings hurt. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't want to have to play a lot of minutes and practice hard sure. all the time. <laughs> Yeah, 
I love the Knicks this year because they are, I mean, they are, they are a big market that is winning with a small market strategy. And it, it's weird to get hope <laughs> from the Knicks because you can't replicate yeah. New York City and Sacramento. But look who's look who's carrying that team. You got a, a, a retread head coach who's been fired from some other locations. And some people said Tibbs might not get back in the league at all because his style of coaching was, was, uh, was in vogue and it wasn't going to come back. And you got Randall who had been, passed off to a few different teams and, and no one wanted to give him the big money. And that's how you become one of the most entertaining teams in the NBA. It's weird that the Knicks are like a hopeful story, but I've loved watching them this year and I hope they make it, you know, as far as possible in the playoffs. Cause that's been a really fun team to watch and, and Tibbs yeah. has done an awesome job there. Yeah. And, and it isn't Randall a great story. Yeah. In other yes. words, you know, I mean, it, it, this happens, uh, you know, quite a bit really uh, it, more often than you might think for a guy, uh, just doesn't quite click for the first few teams. And, 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 and even with the Knicks, he had, and I think Tibbs was exactly the right sure. coach at the right time for him. And now he's an elite talent and player who every team in the sure. league could have had him uh, in, in the past couple of years for practically nothing, which uh, just shows you that, uh, yeah, uh, timing is part of it. Uh, being a, with the right coach at the right place at the right time and working at your game and, continuing to get better which is a credit to uh i always remember jimmy ion talking about that he was a assistant coach with the lakers when, when randall was there he'd been with the kings under paul westfall a good guy and you know lifer and he's talking about randall said really liked him he said he's just a mistake player right now and if we'll show patience he's going to be you know what i mean if we show patience he, he's got a chance to be really good well of course sure. they didn't and that's 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 how that goes yeah. And we talk about what the Kings need in like a tough player who's not going to take shit from anybody. I mean, how awesome would Randall be here? At, yeah. You know, right. just having yeah. that tough bowling ball, like big center is going to push guys around and dominate the paint like that. I mean, I can't, it's, it's a kind of a throwback. I mean, he can shoot threes now, but he is sort of an old school player in, in and I guess modern in other ways, but um, yeah, what a great story. I do want to say, though, um, that when it came to the 2018 draft, there was a good contingency of Sacramento Kings fans that pushed for drafting Luka Doncic and signing Julius Randle to a contract. That, they, that yeah. A lot of Kings fans wanted Julius Randle. And I have to say that thinking about that team keeps me up sometimes at night. And, um, and, and so I just don't think I just got to put it out of my mind and, and, and just daydream about Tyrese Halliburton throwing lobs to some – nameless center that we get in the draft some years sometime down the road because that team would have been a damn good team and it would have been it, sure a, it would have had a with Dave Yeager coaching they'd have been playing hard and they'd have they'd have impressed a lot of people so uh, the the last thing that I uh, the last thing I want to bring up that it is Kings related that I'm excited about for these two weeks is uh the Kings played Oklahoma City Thunder three times in a very short span and the Thunder are kind of my the Kings are my long-term relationship uh, they're, they're the team I come home to every night that I have dinner with, even though they don't cook all that well. But but um, the Oklahoma City Thunder, are, are, they're that girl in the subway. They're that one that I kind of look over at. And, Man, I wonder what life would be like with her. Because the Oklahoma City Thunder, the way they run their team, their general manager, the way they do everything right now is just is just something I absolutely get jealous over because they they have the team that I wish the Kings could have. They're terrible. Uh, they're playing all their young guys right now. And they're, you know, if you look at, if you look at their, their, you know, the wins and losses in terms of greens and reds, there's a lot more reds than greens. And those reds are much longer than the greens are, but, but they're, they're a team that's built the way that if I could build a team, I'd want to build a team. And I'm very, very excited to see those two teams match up in three different occasions because, you know, now it'll be different with Tyrese Halliburton being out, but I love the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I love the way that they're they're being built right now. They're terrible, and 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 they're the best looking terrible team I've seen in a long time. Well, they've got uh, you know found a couple of really top players, and and you know and, and Lou Dort and Baisley, and obviously Shea Gilgis Alexander's out with some injury, but I mean he's a young star in the making. You know that you can make the case he's very close to Fox differently. Uh, uh, but, but I mean, he is that level player close to it. And, uh, so yeah. And then all the picks and of course I'm a huge Sam Presti fan. I, I was, yeah. I was honestly no disrespect to money, but I was hoping that the, the Kings would go after a guy like that because I know he doesn't make a lot of money sure. and, and I know their franchise is financially strapped 
And, and it, you know, it's one of those things that they'll get it going again, and then they'll have to churn some guys because of, of money, sure. it, you know? So I, I can't believe that makes a general manager really happy going forward, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so that, you, you know, that you're always going to have to do things based on, well, we can't afford this guy or afford that guy. And uh, so I don't know anyway, but, but I agree. I, I think he's, he, yeah. you know, they're doing as best they can, a small market, and now kind of financially strapped uh, that they weren't some years ago, but they are now, I know, or at least I've heard. And, uh, but Presti, there's nobody better than Sam Presti. Yeah. There just, there just isn't. I think we all agree that he'd be the guy that if we could back up the Brinks truck for a general manager, he might be the guy to do it for. Yeah. And I always said too, the people, people don't realize you don't have to back, back up the Brinks truck for general managers. You sure. do for coaches. You just sure. don't. Sure. I mean, they, they make a lot of money, but it's not like coaches. Sure. And, 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 and that's the thing. It's, uh, uh, I think people have that uh, assumption that the, that the GM is making more than the coach. Almost never is that the case. Sure. You know, Pat Riley would be the exception, of course, sure. <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> or president and all that sort of thing. But so it, well, it's very different there. If Sam Presti wants to make coach money. Uh, I would I would pay him coach money very very easily in order. To I wouldn't have. Yeah, I, I would have no problem paying him <laughs> coach plus money. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, so, how I say it, it's kind of like uh, the college stuff, you know, where the AD people assume they make a lot of money, sure. but they don't make. You know, Nick Saban making five times what the athletic yeah, director is yeah. making, yeah. and uh, you know that's just the way it is. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, let's go to our Patreon question of the day, Tony. All right. Um, so every week on this podcast, we ask one question from our patrons at uh, patreon.com slash Kings Herald um, for Jerry. And then once a month, we uh, take all those questions that don't get used on the main show and put it together in, in a special bonus Q&A, which we will be recording today, actually. Um, but for the show right now, we've got a question. We've touched on this a little bit, but I don't know if we've we've actually asked the question directly. Um, this comes from Chris H, um, sports junkie on the website. He's done uh, some stuff for us before, I think around the draft, um, but a, a long time commenter at the Kings Herald. Uh, I said it would be great to hear how Jerry thinks about balancing winning slash building culture versus improving lottery position and minutes for fringe young players at the end of the season. Um, and he knows it's an intense debate among Kings fans, and it really is. I know, Jerry, you know, to your credit, you're not on Twitter, but that is that is probably the biggest thing people are talking about right now is uh, the idea of, you know, player development versus winning culture versus draft position. So Jerry, if you could uh, maybe answer that one more directly than we have in the podcast is sort of where, where you, how you feel about that. Well, I mean, I, I certainly think you have to be concerned about if you're not going to make the playoffs draft position. I mean, you, you, you know, we, we talked about already, it's a lottery and you're never assured. And things have changed dramatically there. But uh, as far as as far as player development, and I'm always in favor of player development. Now, let me explain that a little bit. I'm talking about developing the players. Now, there's guys sometimes on your roster that you as a coach or coaching staff really don't think are much players. So you don't you don't need to worry about them if you don't see them in your future. They're just guys on your roster, which will be replaced by next year, different guys on your roster. But guys, but if there's players that you haven't played much and you think can be NBA players and you'd like to see how they do, make sure, yes, de developing them in, in, in game situations is very important and try to do that. that that's, and especially once you're, you know, if you've got six, five, six games and you're out of the playoffs for sure, then, then why not? I mean, you have no excuse not to. So, uh, so I know it's a it's a little different take on it, but but I'm not I'm not one of those just because you have 15 guys on your roster that they're all neat developed because some of them just aren't any good, and and they they won't be in the league and and really if your coaching staff and your front office are paying attention, they should be able to identify that without patting to trot them out there, uh, and basically whatever minutes you have, uh, that gives you more for the guys you think you want to know more about and, and as far as bringing back. So, you know, if it's a, if, if it's a Jamie, Jamius or Kyle guy or somebody you think, well, we, we, we think this guy might be a player for us and we want him back. Well, it behooves you to make sure you, you get a better look at it. I think in those situations. 
uh, someone else asked this and I was going to use it for the Q and a, but I think it, it goes in uh, for the Patreon exclusive part, but I think it goes into this and I, I don't know if that's changes your answer at all, Jerry, but does your line of, um, you know, like you said, some players aren't players, some players are, does contract factor into that? Or is it just what the coach sees in practice? Because someone mentioned, uh, in a, in a response to this question, someone like Jamias Ramsey, right? Monty McNair gave him two guaranteed years and a third year team option. So does Luke Walton have to consider that this, this guy, while maybe he's not showing anything in practice, the organization did invest some amount of time in him beyond this one season. It's different for a guy like Chemezi Metu or uh, Jones, who's here for the end of the year. And then that's it. This guy's going to be here a little bit longer term. So does that factor in? Um, does he just deserve playing time just by matter of uh, being a body that's here longer than someone else under a different contract? Uh, actually, I would say in a perfect world, it shouldn't. Yeah, it absolutely shouldn't. But in the reality, it does. You know, I do think I think there's some extra pressure on a coach to play, you know, to make sure, OK, that we, we're, we got this guy for another year anyway. Uh, and, and we're going to have to look at him again next year, too. You know, so, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think it does come into it. I, I've always thought that's a, probably the truth is that, that with the better franchises, it happens less. You know, I, 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 I'd almost guarantee you that, uh, say, the Miami Heat and Pat Riley, if it's a guy they've signed for three years, you know, or, or maybe he signed for two years and, and somebody picked up off free agency uh, late in the year and he thinks one's better than the other, it, it's not going to, he'll say, given a choice, let, let's, let's, let's play the guy we think is better. Let's play the guy we think is better. And, and I, you know, I, to me, it, what made sense in junior high school should make sense at the highest level, <laughs> you know, play your best, develop your best. And the most, the ones with the most potential. Well, that let's get to a, let's get to our Reynolds wrap up then Jerry, what do you have for us? Well, I was just thinking, uh, I was actually, I was reading some, some uh, columns in the King's Herald, those outstanding writers, but not that you, and you guys are certainly among those, by the way, but Tim Maxwell had a, had a neat uh, column. I think all King's Herald people should read. I mean, a lot did, I'm sure, but more probably should go back through it. I don't think it's on uh, uh, April 27th, but talked about how to fix the Kings, or, and he gave his opinions, which, you know, everybody has different ones, but I thought that was neat. I thought there were some really good thoughts in there, not just from him, because he had a kind of a, a little different slant on it. It's, for instance, you know, it's a, well, the, he's basically fix this thing as quick as you can because of where the franchise is and, and, and all that. And, and if you have to trade the pick uh, to, to improve yourself faster, do it. Well, sure. Uh, whatever it takes, uh, you know, and, or, and in effect uh, with players, you know, trades for agency, uh, you know, do whatever you can to fix it as quick. And now, and then others, of course, had the, the slant, you know, where, you know, we can in for the long haul. Well, the long haul's already been here. We we're past, you know, we're past, we're past long haul. <laughs> but, but anyway, I, but I thought, I thought a lot of the, the fans, the ones that responded really had some good ideas as well, but I, I thought he had some, well, had reasons for his thoughts and, and certainly I tend to, to agree with him, uh, maybe as much or more than any of the other responses. But, but I mean, I always say it's like, boy, you just find out, uh, you know, really some people that think things out, uh, it, it's not easy to do number one. And then of course, I always get the last thing though is, is on trades. You know, people always look at these trades like, well, we'd like that guy. And so we'll give them a whole bunch of these guys. Uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, I always like to look at like just simple things like for instance, I mean, I'll just throw something. I mean, Charlotte, they've got, you know, they, they kind of need more size, you know, at the, certainly at the power spots at four or five kind of guy. Well, not saying you're, you're going to trade Marvin Bagley, but that would, might be a spot you could do that. And they also have uh, more small forwards than they probably can play, you know, Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward. Well, okay, now Miles Bridges is a hell of a player. Now, I'm not saying you do that, but that's, to me, that's how you ought to look at it. It's like, now, why would they consider doing it? And, and, and why would the Kings consider doing it? And does it make sense for both teams? If it does, 
and makes both teams better, then that's a good trade. Uh, it doesn't make any difference if the one guy goes to the other team and, and has three more points a game than the guy you get. Who cares? If it makes you better, sure. that's a good trade. Anyway, just uh, just just I just want to think, you know, for people to kind of look at it more in that line of, of why would they make this trade? Not that we want to we want to move this guy because we don't like him anymore. And uh, and so you give us somebody really good because we don't want him anymore. So that sort of thing. That was uh, that was Jerry mentioning um, Tim Maxwell's think tank. How would you fix the Kings article from uh, April 27th? Just for anyone who decides to look back and read that. Um, for everyone here at the Kings Herald um, and uh, the Kings Herald show, just want to thank you for listening to another episode. Um, if you would uh, like, rate, and subscribe us wherever you find us on our podcast. And uh, we'll see you after the season's done here in two weeks. So uh, uh, everybody enjoy these last two weeks of the season. And uh, please, please don't go insane. It's just the Sacramento Kings. We'll be with you uh, in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. for Yeah, no insanity. Absolutely. <laughs>